CY Leo joins me on episode 48. Leo is from Hong Kong where he started learning to play classical chromatic harmonica from age 6 under the direction of his father who is an accomplished player himself having won the ensemble category at the 1997 World Harmonica Championship with his quintet helping to raise interest in the harmonica throughout Asia. Leo quickly gained recognition in his own right winning the World Championship Youth category at age 15 before taking the adult crown at age 19. Still only 27, Leo has built on his early success with some notable studio sessions and two albums under his own name. Leo also spent some time on cruise ships to help him hone his stagecraft. Now living in New York, Leo is studying jazz performance at New York University. And watch out on your TV screens for Leo as he is about to audition for America's Got Talent. Hello, CY Leo, and welcome to the podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. Oh, it's a real pleasure to have you on. So, a little bit about your background. So, you're from Hong Kong originally, but I think you're living in New York now, yeah? Yes, that's true. What was your music development like in Hong Kong? Uh, you know, what got started playing the harmonica? I was born in a, quite a musical family, especially my, my dad is also a harmonica player. My mother is a French horn player. I was uh, highly influenced by my father and both my parents, of course, to get in touch with classical music. And more specifically, it was classical harmonica music, as my father is a fan of basically all kind of classical music, including all the legendary records that were made by players like Tommy Raleigh, Larry Adler, Sigmund Groofen, Harmonica Cats, Ella Trios. We have all kinds of different records at home. So that's the music that I, I was born and raised listening to. And then because my father also has a harmonica quintet called the King's Harmonica Quintet. The time that I was born, it was basically the time that they were most active as they were preparing for the World Harmonica Festival. By that time, it was 1997. It was also the first few Asians that has approached to the international harmonica community by that time. So it was quite a remarkable time for Asian harmonica community. And that's the time that I was born. So I witnessed how they have gained recognition in the international harmonica community through a lot of classical harmonica practice. And then when I started officially learning it around six years old, I kind of have a have a pretty clear idea of where I'm heading. So I understand that you say you started at age six, but I understand your, your father took a photograph of you when you were born uh, holding a harmonica. Is that right? Yes, yes, that's right. Great. So even from birth, you were you had the harmonica in your hand. Of these records that you were listening to, that like you say all the great chromatic players there, you know, is that something you tried to start to learn to play along with when you were when you were that young age? I was listening, and uh, my first teacher, of course, my father tried to teach me, but then he he figures it's not the most ideal way as he's a perfectionist, so it would cause harm to to the relationship. So my my teacher is actually my father's teacher as well, and the repertoire that he gave me, he introduced to me, is also highly influenced by those players. 
So I, I didn't particularly like play the Spiakovsky harmonica concerto at first. You know, I, I I didn't have the ability, but I was heading that direction through a lot of like some Bach etudes at the very beginning, or you know, just playing like the Beethoven like those kind of stuff. Was the one record that you remember you particularly liked that age with harmonica on? When I was younger, I I remember as a family we always travel to different places and we have road trips all the time. We would listen to so many harmonica records, and I remember sometimes the record by Sigmund Grufen would still come up to my mind. Like he kind of played some Beatles tributes in in one of the records. Like you say, you were born at a time when, when your father and his in his King's Harmonic Quintet started getting some recognition for the Asian scene. So, so what happened there? Did they go over to Europe, or was that when some of the Asian festivals started up? I think because they won the prizes in the World Harmonic Festival, and then in Hong Kong. Basically, the government was really pleased to hear the news and started giving us a lot of support. And also, I think that inspired a lot of the other countries、uh, in Asia about, like, I, I guess, a goal for the harmonists to go for. So, let's say the Taiwanese players started knowing about the World Harmonic Festival. They kind of set it as like the ultimate goal of a harmonist's career, or, or say, you know, pursue. And you know, it happens to Japan as well, and it. Happens to Malaysia, Singapore as well. So it, it was a time when a lot of Asian、uh, harmonica community started getting some solid direction where we're heading. And because of the place I was born,、uh, Hong Kong, it has so much government support since my father's quintet. Got some recognitions, so I felt like the way that I was born and raised and educated and being supported by my environment was very fortunate. Like everything was a blessing. Yeah, absolutely. You were obviously born in the right place at the right time, but and put that、yes. put that talent with it. So in Asia now, the the harmonica is a very popular instrument. Yeah, I think there's lots of young people playing harmonica. Is that the case? Yes, in fact, it is still a underrated instrument. Most people still recognize it as you know one of those toy instruments. But we、mm-hmm. do have a bigger community right now, and we do have more and more talented players. I would say there are more professional players, or at least players at professional standards, that has arisen since maybe ten years ago from Asia. Are the more chromatic players in in Asia than maybe than diatonic? So obviously in in the West and in Europe and and US, there's probably most people play the diatonic. Is what's it like in Asia? Yes, in fact, we mainly focus on chromatic harmonica. For Hong Kong, I know the reason. For other countries, I, I'm not exactly sure. But but for Hong Kong, because around the 40s, we have a harmonicist from Hong Kong who went to the state and to learn from Tommy Riley, the legend himself. That's actually when、uh, the harmonica culture、uh, started in Hong Kong. He came back to Hong Kong and he started bringing the Tommy Riley's approach to everyone in Hong Kong. He started a harmonica orchestra, a association called the YMCA. Since then, we were focusing on classical music and chromatic harmonica. 
it goes all the way back to to the forties or even thirties. So, and, and what about the festivals? So, so there's two big festivals. Uh, so I know of in Asia, of course, there's the Asia Pacific and I think the Seoul International Harmonic yes. Festival as well. Yeah. So there are festivals that you've been to. You do, you know how long they've been running? And they started after, like you say, Trossingen in the late nineties when when your father went over. Did they start after then? There was one time there was the World Harmonic Festival, and then the players from Asia were not pleased by the result of the competition and then they they just grouped together representative from Malaysia from Japan from Hong Kong from Singapore you know these people grouped together and figure oh why not we create one for Asia I think that happened around like 20 to 30 years ago and then that happens once every two years the one that happened in Hong Kong we we have attracted like at least like 3,000 audience throughout the whole festival and then the one that happened in Taiwan was huge as well I think the audience was around 3,000 as well which is which is pretty crazy. Every concert packed, and you can see harmonica players in that area all the time. Like when you're in the restaurant, like I was listening to harmonica music like every day. The harmonica sound just keep running in my head after an entire month because I had too much of the harmonica sound by the festival. Yeah, and again, is this mainly chromatics, or is it a big mixture of uh, different sorts of harmonicas? They do have different categories, but then I think most of us focus on the chromatic and also the chord based uh, harmonica ensemble, which is one of the strength of Taiwan, Malaysia harmonica culture. So I think, are you 27 years old now, Leo? Yes, yes. Yeah, so I believe you may well be the youngest person I've had on the on the podcast. Oh, really? <laughs> but by no means does that reflect on your fantastic virtuosity and your technical ability on Thank you. on the harmonica. Uh- Going back to how you learned, like you say, you initially had classical lessons, but we'll get on to, obviously, you're, you're very interested in pushing the boundaries now and playing different sorts of genres on the, on the harmonica. But you started off playing classical, yeah? And I think, is that the grounding, you think, where, where you developed your technique, where you know, you're able to do these, these amazing things you, you can on the chromatic? Yes. In fact, I think my classical training was very, very important as my foundation to learn any kind of other genres in my uh, later career. Because the idea of what music I should play on harmonica was implanted very early by my father's influence. So I, I figured if I'm playing the harmonica, I should be playing the, the oboe concerto, you know, the, the double violin concerto by Bach. And they, they would practice all these ensemble strings quartets repertoire written by Sostakovich, Dvorak, Tchaikovsky. For me, it is normal to play something like that. If I couldn't play it, uh, that means I, I'm not good enough. But I, I know that is not the case for most players around the world even. Because yeah, most people from the Western, I think uh, they started playing the chromatic harmonica because of Toots or Stevie Wonder, most of them. Let's say from Asia, um, most of the players started because of some pop singers. We have a guy called uh, Wang Jim in Hong Kong, and he was really influential in the 80s. And that's how people usually started. 
they listen to pop music or maybe music in the movie, and then they they started pl- picking up the harmonica. What they really wanted to do at the very beginning was usually something much more simple. But then the way I started has already I already have a totally different perception of how the harmonica should sound like since I was I was、uh, in my early age. So clearly, at this age, you're 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 reading the music here. So again, we'll get onto the different genres that you you've got involved with shortly. But so, at what point did you then sort of start branching away from just reading? You know, were you trying to improvise and and play different sorts of music at an early age too, or? In fact, that happens to me at around fifteen、uh, years old, around sixteen years old.、Uh, there was there was one time my school.、Uh, there, there's a program in my school that we bring different guests to as speakers to share different cultures. You know, sometimes we have like dancing artists, sometimes we have painting artists, and that particular time we have a blues band in the house. They ask every class to pick one person who is most musically gifted, and then. And to go on stage, there were five of us, and then they just give us one scale, which is the blues scale. And then they just started playing. They just started grooving, playing in shuffles, playing a blues groove underneath. And then we we had to improvise with that scale one by one. I was like, okay, that's cool, but I have no idea how to do it. So、mm. at, at first, I was just doing like, you know, and then. Eventually, I feel like oh, I I think this scale is pretty easy. So I I just started creating some patterns on it on the spot, like. My my other classmates were not as、uh, as into it. They they were like, okay, I, I'm not sure what to do, and maybe because harmonica is meant to be. So so highly related to the blues sound. I think it's it's a little easier for me because there was like violinist there, and then for the harmonica, it just goes well with the band naturally. And then the band started encouraging me to to do more. As my classmate、uh, usually just play for maybe like fifteen seconds, and then they stop. And then the band asked me to, oh yeah, just keep going, just just keep going. So that was the first time I improvised, and it was really fun. I was exploring like the blues note, and now. Feel like oh, so that's why the blues note come from. You know, I started thinking about it.、Yeah. So, did this get you interested in in blues harmonica? Because I mean, obviously, you do play some diatonic, don't you? And I, and I know it's not your your main instrument, but、um, you, you know, you do play some diatonic, don't you? Yes, I do.、Um, it's just for like almost like a show show instrument for me. Did you start exploring blues harmonica players at that point? It, you know, was that part of your influence, or did you did not really go there? I've always been like a loyal person, <laughs> so I, I discovered this kind of bluesy sound of the harmonica. But then I still want to want to be you know sticking to my origin, like sticking to the chromatic harmonica. Even I was exploring the blues, I, I was still trying to play it on the chromatic. And going a little bit back to to the Asian scene and the way that you develop through it, I think there's a culture of competitions, isn't there, in Asia? So you've won various competitions from quite a young age, didn't you? I think、uh, I think you won your first at,、uh, at the age of ten at the Asia Pacific Festival. Yes. Do you remember what you played there? Wow,、um, I played something like. Something like that. I- 
I forgot if it is the right key as well. <laughs> yeah, and and then you won you won Tony. We mentioned Trossingen a few times. So you won your first World Harmonica Championships at the age of nineteen in, in Trossingen. Yeah, my first was fifteen. Was that the what the classical section or on the chromatic? Yes, it was the youth category in the classical chromatic. Right, the youth category. Yeah. So was it in when you were nineteen? Was that the adult category? Yes, that was the test piece category. Pacific again in the 2012. So you've won various uh, competitions, and I, again, I think that was part of the development in Asia. Was it? I think there is quite a culture of, of competitions there, isn't? There? And that's one of the you know ways that help you develop. Yeah, yeah. I think the main reason is that in Asia we don't really have legends like Toots, like Stevie. Even when we go way back, we don't have legends like Larry Adler. We don't have legends like Tom Nirali. So we're not really educated like the majority of, of people, even the cultured community. They have no idea like how a good harmonica player can do. So qualification from the Western world or, or you know, from a bigger community organization is really important to for us to prove ourselves to the society of what we're capable of. Yeah, so that's basically why we were competing all the time. Yeah. Because we have no way to prove ourselves, no other way. Even yeah. we release something and they, they would not pay attention to us. But it's a good way to do it as well. It's good motivation to, to get a piece up, up to standard as well, isn't it? Definitely, yes. So I understand your, your first degree uh, when you attended university there in Hong Kong was a, a non-music related degree. So, so what stage did you decide to you know, become a professional musician? Well, I've always wanted to be a professional musician, but in reality, there's no harmonicist that is living a career that I wanted back then in Hong Kong. Because most of the harmonicists that continue to be a full-time harmonica player would, would be educators instead of performer or, you know, uh, live recording players. And I love teaching too sometimes, but my main goal would be performing, recording and composing. So, you know, it, it is really tough because no one have ever done that before. So I choose occupational therapy as my first degree just as my plan b in case i you know i can't survive as, as a harmonicist eventually i was you know for, during my university life i was busking a lot i was playing with a bunch of different musicians and i also you know during the time i also won that prize in the world harmonica festival which helps a lot in my career so eventually i got media coverage i i was on the news i was on tv you know people start recognizing me my first recording for a pop singer who is really huge in Asia was when I was 19. There was like a semi jazz record. What was the name of the recording and the artist? The artist is called Sandy Lamb. So, 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 yeah, great. So, as you're saying, you started getting recognition, you started getting a name. I know that uh, another thing which was important in your development was um, working on cruise ships and, 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 and playing on cruise ships. Okay, that, that's actually the main reason how I, I could survive as a full-time harmonicist because uh, I actually got 
a cold call from the state probably half a year before I graduate. And then as there is a cruise agent whose name is David, who was trying to learn the harmonica. And then he was reading the book called The Love of the Chromatic Harmonica. And I was featured in one of the chapters. And uh, he spotted me there and he figured, oh, maybe I can get this kid to perform on the cruise as they were developing the Asian market. It was the first few years that they developed it. So yeah, I was recruited as the performer and they have booked me for for like half a year, different contracts, uh, usually contracts by uh, days, like five to seven days usually. And then I was fully booked after my graduation. So I was at work right when I graduated. Great. And I think I've seen that this is where you, you maybe learned your stagecraft as well. You, you, you've got a strong element to, to entertaining when you're playing and, and that's something you developed when you were working on the cruise ships. Yeah, because my agent is a uh, is the world champion of the juggling competition mm-hmm. uh, when he was younger. He's like a, you know, cross-genre artist. He, he sings as well. He do a little bit of stand-up comedy in his show. Basically, he's like the perfect, most ideal guy the, the cruise ship industry could mm-hmm. ever ask for. Yeah. And and he was worried that I, I, I would be, you know, too kind of artistic for the cruise industry because there's a culture in cruise performance industry so he basically gave me a lot of different sections of guidance to guide me through oh how you should talk on stage how you should move on stage to make sure i get a good rating which would be nice for him as well so i get more bookings yeah in that way i was evaluating a lot on how how to present myself on stage you sort of dance on stage as well whilst you're playing the yeah. chromatic, yeah. Which is which for a chromatic player is probably reasonably unusual. So, but but good to see, you know, that entertainment element. Yeah, yeah. I'm a fan of Michael Jackson. I learned some of the move when I have so much extra time on the cruise. Yeah, Michael Jackson. I know you. I know you did a version of Human Nature, which is a, a great song, of course, which Miles Davis did on uh, on trumpet, and and then Stevie Wonder did it on harmonica as well, didn't this? That's a great one. I was I was delighted to hear you playing the Human Nature. So as you say, um, working on cruise ships got you some paid work here, which was great. I think that was hit a little bit when the pandemic arrived, was it? You were working on those until the pandemic came. Exactly, exactly. Actually, before the pandemic, around that time, I I was already starting to feel something different about playing on the cruise. It was really cool to begin with, playing on the cruise as my career. And, uh, I, I got to play with tons of musicians, so much uh, experience of short rehearsal time to give up a full show. You know, I, I could work on my craft of stage presentation and so and so. But then eventually I, I felt like is is not exactly the career that I should be sticking with, especially at that age. Because mm. in a cruise career, even on uh, ships like Royal Caribbean, they they have like thousand seats uh, for one show. If you perform for three nights, four nights, you you're basically performing for four thousand people. But um, I I observe that even I maybe I I'm, I could make some CD sales, but most of the cruise passenger wouldn't follow you after the show. You know, you you are just one of the entertainments, the many entertainments that happen on the ship, and you know it feels like another dimension almost that you you have you know a great audience, great crowd, great result on on the ship. 
once you're back on the land, you feel like, oh, no one knows what you were doing, and、uh, you didn't accumulate anything by those except the personal experience. You can't accumulate your fans there. You don't accumulate your exposure. You don't, you know, you don't, you don't accumulate your popularity. You know. So I feel like at this age, I should be exploring something further on the land, especially. Yeah, because I feel I felt trapped in that career. Okay, so we'll get onto、um, some of your your music releases now, and I think. Uh, you, you've had two albums out and, and various singles, which are certainly on Spotify. So I think your, your first album was 2019, called Lost in Time. Yeah, this is quite、um, mainly sort of pop songs, isn't it? It's it's not it's not classical music, is it? I think your second album, which we'll get onto, is a little bit more on the classical music side. So yeah. So what what about the content of this album? So Lost in Time was my first, basically my debut、uh, project that has、uh, a show and the album. You know, I I actually thought about that concept for for five years until I I made it happen. The concept was that I I feel like I need some popular tunes to catch people's attention, and also you know on the, on the, on the same time I I want the dev in the music. So I was p- working with two really talented arrangers in Hong Kong that had the ability to turn popular tunes into something more complex. Probably with the influence of jazz and classical, particularly for this album, I think is mainly influenced by fusion jazz music. There, there were some complexity in the arrangement, and there are open section for solos. I think that's the 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 first kind of sound I created, and I want people to perceive me as like a cross genre instrumentalist. Yeah, and I mentioned there, there. There's quite a few. Obviously, we've already mentioned Human Nature. That's on this album. There's quite a lot of big arrangements, isn't there,、uh, on here? It's partly sort of semi-orchestral. I need、uh, what's going on. You've got the, as the soul song. Of quite a heavy rock sort of、uh, sound to it, rock guitar and yes, yeah, and、uh, and then you also do Danny Boy, which is、uh, obviously traditionally a、uh, famous harmonica, well played by harmonica players for us harmonica fans. So.、Yes. So yeah, and an interesting choice in there, and as you say, various、um, you know sort of cross genre on there are definitely coming through. So、yeah. at this stage, then、um, this was、uh, 2019, yes,、yeah, so or sort of、uh, released two years ago, yeah. And then, then between between your next album, I certainly saw that you'd released a single as well called "I Won't Let You Go." Was that under your own name, or were you performing with someone else there? So throughout my career, I have been exploring a lot, like different things. There's something on the side, I would say.、Uh, that single that I made, it is a singer-songwriter project. Are you the vocalist on that? Yeah, I sang and I, I wrote the song. I co-arranged the piece with a producer in Hong Kong. As I was exploring, as I was trying to, you know, get harmonica popularized in Hong Kong, I was really trying different ways, and I always feel like 
it's really hard, especially in Hong Kong, to be an instrumentalist because people pay attention more on the lyrics. And we, as I said, we don't have legends that exist in our culture,、uh, especially as instrumentalists. I, I guess the most popular figures that people know would be Yo Yo Ma and then Yun Di Li and Lang Lang. And that's it. They don't know anyone else in Hong Kong, like for、mm-hmm. for the majority of of people. So that's why I, I started trying to explore singing as well, because there would be lyrics, and that would be it, the format that people are are more comfortable listening to. But since it's a it's it's more like a side project, and it's not really financed by anyone but me,、mm-hmm. so I couldn't、yeah. I couldn't really keep it going so much. It just happened on the side, you know, when I feel like there's a tune that is. Really complete, and I want it released, and I, I would I would put it on. Yes. Oh, it's cool that you did some vocals though, because obviously, so your next album, the the Angel and Demon album, again, it's instrumental, isn't it? I think, and then and then this album, as we mentioned, it's got a bit more classical feel to it. It's not all classical, is it? But it's it's more of a classical feel to the album, and there's some quite heavy effects on the harmonica as well. Is that something you were experimenting with? Yes, yes. This is my first original album, so basically, all the tunes was written by myself. I think the trick. Of Point of me turning from a player to a composer was actually what happened in Hong Kong because the social movement in Hong Kong that happened two years ago was really influential. I think to anyone who from Hong Kong, you know, it changed all the perception we have. You know, we we were thinking so much about right and wrong, all these philosophical questions as the politics get chaotic. So this album、uh, was heavily influenced by that period of time. I would see this as an outlet of my emotion instability during that time, such as tears. Tears is is a tune that I wrote right after the protests happened, like the day after. That was like twelfth of June in two thousand and nineteen, and、uh, yeah, it was tough. If you listen to the music, there are a lot of elements, subtle elements added. You know, you can hear the sound of tear gas. In the middle of the session of the of tears, and then you can hear the sound of a bullet dropping sound at the end of the track. It has some implication on every different tracks, and you know that that was my main inspiration. As I as I started writing, I I feel like I was trying to go back to my origin. You know, I was thinking about oh, what what kind of sound that kind of represents me, especially as that can reflect my. Upbringing, my culture and stuff. So I would say this entire album has has an oriental sound. If you listen to Eyes Down, the chord progression is very much like a pop tune in Hong Kong. I I, I would say like you know most of my Hong Kong friends would say Eyes Down is their favorite because the chord progression is something they're so familiar with. But then I, I, you know, as as always, I would like to give some depth into the music. So you know, in the 
middle section of eyes down, I would add a a section that resembled the feeling of Pirates of Caribbean. Those kind of stuff. Cool. And I know that before the dawn, I heard you talking about the tone that you'd achieved on on that on that recording. I don't know if it's from the album, but I think that you were particularly pleased with the the tone that you'd achieved on that song, and you know you described it as angelic and and getting away from maybe the the higher pitched elements of the chromatic and bringing out that real warmth to the town. Yes, yes. Yeah, I still think it is one of my best ballet work <laughs> ever released and recorded and, and uh, produced because I spent a lot of time with the sound engineer to to find find the right tone, to find the right plugin. And uh turns out I have no idea what he have done because because he added like a tons of plugins into into this music and then he just give and then he balances it so well that I have no idea what he've done. But you know, as the raw track, I I would say I the harmonica that I started using two to three years ago. No, actually maybe four. That's the Cremona. It really shaped my playing a lot. And I think Before the Dawn is the best reflection of how I wanted Cremona sound like as a result. Yes. And then uh, an interesting one I found uh, with you is this Smash Originals. Are you playing with a, uh, a saxophone player and a piano oh. player? That, that's, a, that's a really good album. I enjoyed that one a lot. And that's on your uh, record label that you've created yourself, is it Ginger Muse? Yes, uh, basically that, that album is my first work as a producer. So I, I produced the entire album. I record everything myself you know i have because the pianist in my band he he basically don't bass in hong kong a lot he he would be competing all around the world he, he's a classical musician and this project is something else for him you know a, a different outlet for him as well we don't really worked on the social media of this band a lot because all three of us individually we have our own followings timothy the saxophone player he's he's you know one of the most handsome <laughs> musician in hong kong and he, he, he's got tons of followings in hong kong and and the pianist coaching wong he has a documentary released in, in when, when he was like 17 the director basically like follow him since he was six years old or something so and then and then the movie got great success and he is one of the popular figures in Hong Kong as well. So basically, when, when we create concert in Hong Kong, we can easily sell over a thousand tickets in a few days. But we, we never really worked on the social media a lot. Is this a, a label that you're trying to promote sort of young talent? Obviously, you've, you've released this album through there. So there are other people on. Is this a, a record company that you started up? Yes. So Smash, this band is is part of Ginger Muse. Ginger Muse is, yeah, it's a record label in Hong Kong. And uh, we, we want to focus on Hong Kong instrumentalists, especially original music. So uh, in this album, Smash, original, these are all uh, local composers' work. And we are featuring their work through 
through the production. And you know, I also because throughout my career, I was invited a few times by different labels to to join them. I was invited by the uh, Universal Music, the Warner Music, and then there was a uh, record label called Live Nation, who actually mentioned that they would like to invest like five million Hong Kong dollars. Into me and to turn me into an EDM artist, and and then they want me to you know play basically EDM festival, and then I got to dance on stage and and place a bit of harmonica, and then do some DJ or whatever. I've had different opportunities in my career, but、uh, I I feel like all of them are great, but they they can't allow me to do what I really want to do on. Every side of of me, you know, I, I want I want to be continuing doing classical music. I wanted to continue doing jazz. I want to you know collaborate with different artists. So I don't want to feel trapped. That's the reason I started the own label. So I want to gather a few talented instrumentalists in Hong Kong and who also have the entrepreneurship kind of mindset. So we can help each other out in terms of the career development. Well, it's fantastic. You're forging、yes. your own path, particularly as a harmonica player. It can never be easy. So,、uh, great, great credits if you're that. And、uh, yes. since that album as well, you've had a, a couple of singles out this year.、Um, one called Away and one called Breathless. So, Away was composed when I was first in NYC this year. It is the time that my grandma passed away. I was quite depressed, and I needed an outlet. Writing the piece for for my grandma's funeral, and that's also the first time I use a string quartet arrangement,、yeah. which was、uh, encouraged by my teacher here in、uh, in NYU. He encouraged me that I could go further to explore different sound, and he gave me some guidance on strings arrangement. So this is the first time I compose music for this kind of instrumentation. That's great.、Yeah. Of course, of course, Charlie Parker did that, didn't he? he? Did an album with strings. So you're now doing the same for the chromatic Leo. Good to hear. Yeah, in fact, that is going to to be the sound that I'm going to explore in my original projects、uh, in the coming one to two years. I've been writing more strings related pieces, and then the the pieces, the breathless pieces, is I I would say it's just a fun side project as well. It's something like、yeah. I won't let you go. That morning I was I was like exploring some lines on in five, and I feel like oh maybe. I, I should, you know, write an attitude so that I can explore all these、uh, lines in five and to get the feeling right. And eventually, I, I wrote it and I posted on social media, and people were kind of stunned by by the technicality in it. And then I I have a friend who is a film composer here, who is who is now working in、uh, in the PlayStation. You know, we were we were hanging out a lot in、uh, in New York, and I was just sharing him the piece, and he said, "Yeah, maybe I can I can arrange it, I can orchestrate that." And there we go,、uh, we have the the single released as a fun side project. And you've also recorded with various well-known Hong Kong artists as well, haven't you? And、uh, you know, you mentioned Sandy Lam earlier on. So I think your most most streamed song on Spotify possibly、mm. is Belize with、um, Papa Chiro. Oh yes,、uh, is that a Hong Kong artist? 
Oh no, uh, I think that's a Brazilian artist. I'm not exactly sure. So. Yeah, I, I started having these invitations through social media since a few years back, and this is one of the jobs. Yeah, great. So, so you you know you're often invited to play to play on various sort of more pop songs as well with some of these Hong Kong artists, isn't it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You've been on various commercials, haven't you? Like the uh, the Crook Champagne is one of them, and you've you've been in a couple of film appearances and uh, sort of TV appearances in in Hong Kong. Is uh, are you well known in Hong Kong now? Uh yeah, I would say I would say so. Like uh, I've been I've been sticking around for a long time because I I started going out on street performing when I was like fifteen, and then because in Hong Kong we do this kind of like winners concert after all the competitions. So I started performing since I was ten. I got my first commercial gig when I was like twelve. I per- I performed for Mont Blanc. So yeah, I've been sticking around too long that I I can't be you know I I'm recognized in Hong Kong. But now you're in New York. Have you, is that just are you just visiting or is have you moved to New York? Yeah, I I uh, came to New York early this year because of, basically I think because of pandemic. So I I lost all my jobs as I was focusing mainly as a performer, not even you know teaching a lot. So when the pandemic first hit, I was unemployed for a few months and. Uh, even when I was employed, I was employed by myself by the projects that I created. I was more of an entrepreneur. You know, I was organizing concerts for for the musician in Hong Kong. I was finding ways to survive financially, and and then I figured, well, maybe now is the best time for me to get away and and to further my study and to further my career as well. Because as I mentioned, in Hong Kong, we we have such a small market for instrumentalists. So I feel like if I really want to step into like the the biggest stage that can be more influential, I feel like the Big Apple is is where I have to head. Definitely, yeah. So. Are you trying to tap into the great jazz scene there? Is that an area that you're, you know, that you're using in New York? Uh yes. In fact, I I'm trying to replicate what I've done in Hong Kong. Like right now, what I'm doing is, you know, how I've developed in Hong Kong. I have musicians that play different repertoires, different genres of music with me. I have I work with classical musicians. I collab with, you know, pop kind of instrumentalists. I'm a grad student now at NYU, majoring in jazz performance. That's also a big part of, of myself, you know, getting in touch with the jazz communities in here. Yeah, I'm trying to step into different areas of, of music and to develop this kind of cross-genre career. Well, we definitely look forward to what you're coming out with. And you mentioned uh, teaching earlier on. So you, you've got some tuition tuition videos on YouTube. I'll put some uh, a link up to those. And you also help run the Hong Kong City University Harmonica mm-hmm. team as well. Yeah, is that something you're still involved with from from across in uh, New York? Well, I actually stepped back a few years ago. I was hired to start the harmonica orchestra. So I spent about three years there to start teaching new students to play the harmonica. And then eventually we play as an ensemble and then we play as an orchestra and then we go to competition. And then after the orchestra is set up, I just step back because I, you know, I, I always think that being an educator is nice, but it also consumed the time for me 
as an artist to create, yeah. you know, to compose and to play better, you know, to have better lines in my jazz playing and stuff. So it's, it's always a trade-off. And I feel like at this stage of me, I, I, I really want to explore even further to, to see my potential before I really start educating telling people about my thoughts and because yeah. maybe I can I can be better before I, I start teaching uh, on that line so a question ask each time Leo is if you had 10 minutes to practice what would you spend those 10 minutes doing well for me if I have 10 minutes right now I would choose to just improvise around just create whatever that come up with in my mind right now but if you ask this question a year ago I would say I would go for the Bach cello suite number one but uh yeah right now i am really indulged in jazz music so i've i've been focusing a lot on improvisation so i would definitely spend that so when you are you know working on your improvisation now or are you thinking about chord sequences and playing over those are you you know sort of playing over backing tracks to do that to you know on your jazz practice how do you approach that you know, I have always been playing along tracks since I started exploring blues and jazz music on my own. At first, I started playing with all the pop tunes that I know, and then I just play along. And then I eventually I step into jazz and I play with backing tracks on YouTube. But right now, I feel like what I was lacking in my training is to develop the independence of improvisation without anything to support or maybe just a metronome so that's what i've been working on i would practice with the metronome or even without and play through the changes of of standards instead of having the backing track yeah just talking a little bit about your composing so when you're composing i know that you use the harmonica a lot to to do that initially didn't you and i think you know maybe you branched out a little bit more from that now so how do you approach your composing for the album Engine Demon, basically, I, I wrote everything first on the harmonica. But since I came to New York, I have had a few really brilliant teachers. And they have enlightened me in various ways. They opened the mind of mind uh, of orchestration, like of using different colors. So right now, I would have a few different ways of composition. There's one way that's mathematical. I've learned writing it with some some kind of modern compositional techniques, such as the twelve tone interval technique that involves a lot of calculation and you know there there must be some musical judgment, but uh, so much mathematical count. And then the other way is to start on the harmony first, you know, start on a piano first, coming up with the chord progression before I proceed. That's something I was not used to doing too. So well, I'll get on to the last section now, which is talking about gear a little bit more. You mentioned earlier on that your you've now moved to playing the Cremona chromatic harmonica now this is a chromatic I understand is developed in in Asia isn't it and it's a it's a high-end chromatic harmonica Yes, yes. The maker is called Kichi-san. We call him Kichi-san. He's from Japan, independent harmonica manufacturer. The material that is possible on the Cremona could be silver and wood. I forgot the exact material of the wood. The reed that they use is, is a modified reed plate, I think from the Hornet 64. The combination I, I love most is to have the wooden comb and the wooden cover plate, and then with the silver mouthpiece, with the silver slice. There's a a silver plate in the inside of the cover plate as well so uh it 
gives a better projection of the harmonica, even as it is made of wood. So this is quite an expensive chromatic. I think, uh, if I'm right, it costs something like um, three thousand UK pounds or three thousand yeah. euros. Is it? Yeah. So <laughs> not a cheap harmonica. I think it's great to to hear that people are making instruments at that cost because obviously lots of other instruments cost that and, and a lot more. Trying it out first is the thing. Did you get to try this one out before you got one? I did try it out in some Asia Pacific harmonica festivals because we have usually after all those competitions and the drink and whatever we would have like late night hang where the manufacturers from everywhere would gather harmonica lovers、mm-hmm. and to you know gather in one room and then to try all those models. So that was one of the nights that I I tried a harmonica and I feel like wow is is amazing. And then I think the other day my my father bought two of them for himself. Yeah, yeah. So I got I got to try it as well, and then I I remember probably I think the first one that that I used was a gift. By Kichi Sound, yeah, he gave me one as a gift, and I bought one as a spare harmonica. And then the one I'm using right now, oh, in fact,、uh, I'm using two of them right now. They are both gifts from Kichi Sound because they are modified version. And do they take,、um, you know, like all chromatics, they need a little bit of care and attention to be playing well. Is that something that you do yourself, or do you send it back to Kichi Shan to、uh, to do that for you? Oh, for the caring. So to be honest, I'm not the best <laughs> harmonica maintainer in Hong Kong. I always have a few friends that are harmonica full time harmonica musician in Hong Kong. Like, but they they focus more in education, and、uh, I always have them to repair. They are almost like the guitar tech you see in John Mayer's show. And then in my show, I would have、uh, all these old friends helping me out, like usually tuning up my harmonica like right before my shows and stuff. But、I Right now, I'm on my own in New York. So the way I manage it is to I actually bought、uh, six pairs of reed plates from Kichi Sound, and I bought you know I have two harmonica with me,、uh, one as a spare. And、uh, as my experience tell, from last semester, I only broke two reeds. The way I play now is very very subtle, so I only broke two reeds. So yeah, that's how I you know keep my harmonica active. Well, great. Yeah, I mean, I've heard some good things about these. I know William Gallison. I think you met recently William Gallison, didn't you, in New York? I know he was raving、yes. about this chromatic too. So、uh, yeah, it'd be great to try one. I'd like to buy one, but yeah, that, that that's、uh, an expensive purchase. Yeah, but it'd be great to have. But、uh, so you play a a sixteen hole. Chromatic now. Do you, have you always played a sixteen hole? In fact, I started with twelve holes, and then I switched to the master class by Horner.、Mm-hmm. And、uh, after that, my father bought me the Polystat from Norway. I think it's the best twelve-hole chromatic harmonica for, especially for classical music. I am so in love with the harmonica even up till now. But the only reason I have switched to a sixteen-hole is when I started playing more jazz, and、mm-hmm. as I do more transcription of, let's say, Charlie Parker's or John Coltrane. You know, the tenor saxophone basically have to go one octave lower than the twelve-hole harmonica. Yeah. So yeah, that's when I started realizing, oh, if I want to play jazz, I think I have to switch to sixteen. Hole. Did you not have any problems navigating the larger instrument? I mean, because I think a lot of people playing jazz, you know, it feels a bit more.、Uh, you can move more quickly and, and, and know where you are on the twelve hole. Did you? I guess you didn't have any problems with that. Yeah, I had the problem as well. So I spent probably a few months to adjust to it. 
but yeah, but worth it. Yeah, great. And nice and responsive. Because I think the other thing about the 16 hole is the bottom octave can not always be that responsive, but I guess the Cremona uh, is great all, all across the range and it's nice and responsive in that bottom octave as well. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So do you just play a C-tuned chromatic? Yes. As Tommy Raleigh used to insist, and this is what I would like to insist as well, like to play everything on the C harmonica. So when you do play diatonics, what brand of diatonics do you play? I'm super random. Like, as I said, diatonic harmonica for me is almost like a show-show instrument. And uh, at home, we have over a hundred harmonicas. So the one that I am using is by Horner, the XB40, just because I found it in the drawer of my father's. And I feel like this is uh, like powerful enough. I can play it on the streets. Yeah, it's loud, isn't it? But that's the all-bending diatonic, of course, which is kind of like a chromatic. So is, is that one of the other reasons that you chose that one as well? I think so. I think so. <laughs> yeah. Do you play a standard sort of Richter-tune 10-hole diatonic? I think so. As you can see, I can't, I can't even do the, the upper octave well. Like the... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that sounds good. Sounds like you definitely got that bluesy sound, which not all chromatic players get on the, on the diatonic. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and what about, um, what about the embouchure you're using? I think you like to use uh, both tongue blocking and puckering, don't you? Yeah, I am an advocate of a hybrid playing. So as long as there's different ways that I can create different colors, I would take into that. Yeah, so when you're playing, uh, you know, what, what decision do you make to use tongue blocking and which to use puckering? I think tongue blocking for me, it has this kind of more fuller body sound. It has a more stable tone color. So uh, when I do phrasing, especially in classical music, legato phrasing, I feel like the tongue blocking position can create that kind of tone color that I, I'm going for. Mm -hmm. And then if I am doing a pucker, there are mainly two advantage of it. I think playing with pucker makes me play faster because there's less resistance with the mouth and the mouthpiece. So basically, again, I, I can move around the harmonica faster. So I play faster as well. Mm -hmm. And then the second the second nice thing about playing pucker is the tongue movement that is freed up. So I can do tongue vibrato if I play pucker. And that is extremely important as well. And it creates this kind of deep sorrow kind of tone color. And then if I do it with tongue block, I, I can mostly do it with a hand vibrato. So yeah, that's my consideration. Mm -hmm. And also the switch corner too. Like if I need to apply the switch corner technique, then I have to do it in uh, with tongue block. And, uh, and a bit more about gear. What about what microphone do you like to use? Right now for recording, I'm using a Lewitt, a MTP740CM. It is like a condenser mic in the shape of a dynamic microphone. That's the reason I love it because I can use it in a show because sometimes I perform in a handheld position. And then when I record at home, it has the quality of a great condenser microphone. But then recently I have been exploring using more pedals, but uh, I, I wouldn't say I'm an expert on any yet because it is expensive so i haven't explored so much i, I guess i would take some t some more time to explore that for effects i mainly mess around with logic built-in plugin if you listen to let's say engine demon the track despair
added some octave pedal, uh, some overdrive, some flangers effect. You know, a mix of everything into it. I feel like it's kind of where I want to where I want to go in my later music making as well. I would like to mm-hmm. have this kind of futuristic sound as well. For effects, you you just like to use a, a bit of delay, a bit of reverb playing when you're performing. Yeah, generally, I would say even just reverb. Yeah, seldom I need delay, but I I'm very particular about the the length of the reverb. You can hear it in Before the Dawn and Away, the reverb that I'm going for. And uh, we talked about you being quite active on stage. You, you like to use a wireless microphone uh, some of the time for that, do you? Yeah, especially when I have the den. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's the only way, only possible way. Any particular wireless setup you're using? I would say the Shure is fine. Great. And then, then, then final question then, Leo. Thanks so much for your time. And, uh, and obviously, you know, we've talked about, you know, it's the pandemic now. You're in New York and, you know, any particular future plans? You know, are you working on, you know, playing more in the New York scene, getting a new album out maybe? Yeah. So the upcoming plans in New York, I'll be uh, doing my original album in the style of jazz. And then when I'm back in Hong Kong, I'll be uh, doing a another show after Lost in Time, like four years later in June next year. So mm-hmm. it's going to be a cross-genre show. I will sing and as well, uh, probably dance a little as well. You know, I, I will almost perform like a pop singer, but then there will be also a lot of instrumental pieces that I, I compose that involve in the show. So that's something to be looking forward to. And finally, I actually just got back from American Got Talents that I, I'll be auditioning next month. So maybe oh, wow. that's something I'll be doing as well. So we'll see. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, we'll watch out for you on that. Yeah, good luck. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, no, that'd be great. It would be great for you if you, can, uh, if you can do well on that and give the harmonica some exposure. There was a diatonic player on there. Uh... I know, I know. He's great. Yeah, yeah. So it'd be great if you get on there and get some exposure for the chromatic. Yeah, we'll all watch that with interest. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. Definitely. So thanks so much for joining me today at CY Leo. Thank you. That's episode 48 of the podcast. Thanks again so much for listening and thanks to Leo for his wonderful music and these words of wisdom. Creating the podcast is a real labour of love for me. I love the harmonica and I'm sure you all do too. But it does cost me money to run the podcast. So I've just put up a PayPal link, which if anyone wanted to make an entirely voluntary donation to help me keep the podcast running, that would be gratefully received. The link is paypal.me slash harmonica happy hour. You can find this on the podcast webpage at the front and on the episodes and on on the Facebook page. So any donations gratefully received, but uh, no worries if not. So finally over to Leo just to play us out with Lunaria.